Welcome to the podcast, Science of High Paid, High Performing, Happy Engineers. The show to help engineers develop all skills non-technical. My name is Aditya Gute and I'm a speaker and a performance coach for engineers to transform them into rock stars because I believe there's a rock star hiding inside each one of you and it just needs to be brought outside to uncover your full potential as an engineer. Hey guys, welcome to this show. Today we have Ken Gunalan. He is a senior vice president of transportation alternative delivery, Americas at Ecom, based in Salt Lake City, Utah. Previously, he was a vice president at Parsons Brinkerhoff. His collaborative approach has contributed to many successful programs and projects ranging from a few thousand dollars to more than $3 billion. Gunnar has been married for 38 years to Guru. They have a son, Kapilar, and a daughter, Pallavi. He loves to read, travel, and learn about new cultures. Welcome to the podcast, uh, Gunnar. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Aditya, for having me over. I appreciate it. Of course. So um, let's get started with your story. So you rose from the ranks of an engineer to the ranks of a senior vice president. Tell us uh, how, how that happened and your journey. Uh, the journey has been very interesting. As you probably know, I was born and raised in India. Uh, went to the oldest uh, engineering school in Chennai. The, it started as a survey school in India at Gindi College of Engineering, Gindi. Got my bachelor's there and then stayed on and got my master's. As I was doing my master's there, I had ideas of going abroad and to pursue my PhD. Uh, as I was finishing up my bachelor's, I, I'd already met my love of my life and I wanted to get married to her. And it, it was a kind of a non-traditional marriage in, even in those days. Uh, She's a Sindhi and I'm a South Indian. And it was kind of a difference for my side of the family. Her side, they've already been exposed because all her brothers and sisters were married to different folks uh, from different communities. But uh, for my side, this was a big step forward. And so I was looking to get a job and you know get married to her. But at that time, my advisor in my bachelor's program Dr. Steven Sandegren was kind enough to sit down with me one day and said, if your father wants you to pursue a master's degree, then I'm sure he knows your strengths and capabilities and you know you shouldn't be suspicious of his intentions. You need to take his advice. And so I decided to take his advice and said, okay, let me pursue my master's degree and see what happens. And unfortunately, as I was doing my master's degree, my parents came around, my mother especially, and uh, I did get married when I was finishing up my master's program, so everything worked out well. And this is one of the reasons I always say that mentors, and you know, like the saying goes in India, right? Mata, Pita, Guru, Devam. You can club all the mentors along with gurus too, and they come even before God does, and they are very critical in you know every decision that you make and uh, you know and nobody gets anywhere 
without the support of a lot of folks, family, friends, mentors, guides, gurus, you name it. Yeah. So I, I you know, I'm very grateful to Dr. Steven Sandegren for that conversation we had one weekend where he encouraged me to pursue my master's degree according to my father's wishes. And then I, as I was finishing up, I also stayed there and wanted to come to the US. And so I thought I need to get some teaching experience. So I became an adjunct uh, lecturer there at the school in the soil mechanics and foundations engineering department. And then I applied and got admitted to a program here uh, at Texas Tech to pursue my PhD in civil engineering. So I came to Texas Tech as I was pursuing my PhD. And then, uh, you know, I already had been married. So my wife was with me. We had our first child while I was doing my PhD. And then I needed to find employment to support my wife and child because my teaching assistantship was coming to an end at Texas Tech. So I went out looking for a job. you know, that didn't work out well. So when I came back to Lavok, thinking that let me finish my PhD and go back home, I had the good fortune of having another opportunity offered by a company called Terra Testing, uh, which was owned by one Dr. C.V.G. Wallabon. So he was another mentor and guide. You know, he gave me another opportunity while I was in a desperate search to, you know, finish up my PhD and, and go back home. And then and the rest is history. So I was there as a general manager, vice president for a number of years, then moved on from there to Utah uh, to, to explore the Northwest part of the country and to learn a little bit more about earthquake engineering and so on. I came to Utah, worked with a small regional company, then had the opportunity to work with Parsons Brinkerhoff, which was at that time the program manager for a $1.5 billion program here in Utah called the I-15 reconstruction. So I was offered a job there and came to do uh, manage the geotechnical uh, exploration, testing and analysis and design. Took over as the engineering manager, took over as a project manager. And then I became engaged in big programs and projects Uh, at PB around the country. And then, you know, as I was hitting the ceiling up there, I decided to move on to AECOM. So uh, that's kind of how it all happened. My journey from Chennai through Lubbock, Texas to Salt Lake City, Utah, and from a small beginnings to now working for one of the largest consulting firms in the world with about 80,000 employees worldwide. That's such an incredible story. And um, one thing that really stands out is the importance of mentors and the role of mentors in your growth. And I also have seen uh, some of your talks on YouTube. You're a dynamic speaker and you talk about mentorship a lot. So tell us about why mentorship is important as an engineer. As an example, uh, you know, I am doing what my boss has asked me to do. You know, there's Google to get me any answers. I'll apply for jobs when I need to. Why do I have to spend efforts to you know, get mentors, to find mentors? 
it, as I said, you know, I, I strongly believe uh, in in nobody gets anywhere without the help and support of a lot of people. That includes mentors. I've had a number of mentors. I still have a number of mentors. I still consult with a number of mentors. I keep in touch. It's not one mentor that fits all. I mean, you can have mentors for different reasons. Um, so I have mentors who assisted me in my personal life. I've had mentors who assisted me in my professional life. I have mentors who have assisted me in my volunteer thing with ASCE. So I, I do believe that, you know, one has a need. I mean, you can't go to Google uh, to search for all answers. Uh, I'll give you simple examples. There were an incidents when I was applying um, for a certification within a company and I submitted my application at that time. I was fairly active and, uh, you know, both, uh, you know, professionally and uh, uh, volunteer wise. And so I got a response back from the review committee saying that I didn't have a national presence to be qualified to be certified. And I was pretty upset and I wrote a response and took it to uh, uh, a fellow employee, oh, another mentor kind of a deal. Asked him, would you review this letter for me? And he had been in that firm for a number of years. He reviewed the letter and he called me inside his office. He says, I know you're upset. Uh, I understand where you're coming from and you'll have to understand a little bit of the dynamics. And he explained to me how the structure is set up, the review process and so on and so forth. He said, put this letter in your desk drawer for three days. And after three days, if you still feel the same way, then go ahead and send it out. Otherwise, forget about it, give it another few months and you know, resubmit it by changing a few things here and there in the language and send it up and I'm sure you'll get reviewed. It'll be reviewed and approved at that point. And that's what I did. So that kind of advice doesn't come from Google. And so, you know, that was a very sensible thing because I, not, I was not only uh, able to understand the process and, and some of the thought process behind the reviews, I was able to reassess myself. And I also say that a man's or a person's strength is understanding your limitations too. So these kinds of things come from people. It doesn't come from your immediate boss. It comes from people. It helps you navigate. Even more recently, I asked uh, uh, one of the bosses, uh, maybe a few years ago, I said, would you be my mentor? And he says, what do you need a mentor for? You should be mentoring other people. I said, no, everybody needs a mentor at every stage in life. And I do mentor people too. I do mentor a lot of young engineers and so on. But every now and then, you know, you need to bounce something off of somebody. And so that's what you need mentors. So it's very critical to help navigate through all of the landmines without getting your legs blown off. So you need somebody to help you along the way. So you need mentors anytime for any reason. And I strongly recommend folks to find mentors. Uh, you may not 
get the people that you want because they're all busy, uh, but there's always other people who are willing to give you some advice. So it's getting a different perspective. And some people really take a lot of interest in your welfare. And I think that that makes it a lot more um, worthwhile, you know, and it, and it builds friendship and relationships over the course of your career. Such a you know enrolling conversation about why you need a mentor, uh, especially you know like I said when I speak to engineers, I think all answers could be found on Google, but but sometimes you can. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and some of uh, in the example you just said, right? You know you could not have ever found that answer by yourself, which is to yeah. wait for three days and then reapproach by we submitted by altering a few words. And how did that turn out? Oh, it turned out pretty well. So, I mean, you know, it, I not only got that uh, certification, I got a couple of more and I was regarded very highly by the company and I was offered a few other opportunities and so on. So, as I said, that, you know, it, 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 I, didn't, I didn't burn any bridges. Incredible. And, and not many people also climb up the ladder to senior vice president. And that, that coming from you, this advice around mentorship. It's just yeah. um, uh, incredible. Um, so you, let's let's go into the topic of public speaking. Um, yeah. I, like I said, I have seen a couple of videos on YouTube. You're a dynamic public speaker, and what's the importance of public speaking, and how did it help you in your growth, uh, in your career growth? Well, it goes back to my first mentor, my father. Uh, he was a self-made man. Um, educated himself and educated his brothers and everybody else. And uh, he was uh, a stickler uh, for uh, speaking both in, in Tamil and in English. Uh, I'll give you an example. When I first came to the U.S., I thought I was being smart. I voice recorded uh, a message and sent it via, you know, the small 8mm tapes in those days back to back to my parents. So I get a letter from my father saying, uh, very thoughtful of you. You know, we heard your voice after such a long absence of time. I played for your mother every other day so that she can hear your voice. But as a father, I would be remiss if I don't share with you some advice. He says, next time you send us an audio tape, Either you speak in English or you speak in Tamil. When you speak in English and speak in Tamil, it only goes to prove that you're neither of a master of English nor a master of Tamil. So he was one of those Oxford English folks that was very particular. He would say, say, all right, don't say, okay, don't say, yeah, say, yes. Uh, I still remember my brother, who's a cardiothoracic surgeon, went on a Commonwealth scholarship to New Zealand. And he was returning after two years of his trip there on his way to London. And he stopped by in Chennai to visit the family. So my father, after the family left, got my brother aside and he said, come sit next to me. I've got some things to share with you. So I was sitting there and watching this dilemma, the, the drama playing out because I was not the character in it. So my father pulls out a folder and he had kept all of the letters that my brother had written in those two years that he was away. And he said, now you're going to go 
to England, the birthplace of the English language, and I want to make sure that you write properly and speak properly. And he had bled over all of my brother's letters, you know, correcting his grammar and his English. And <laughs> I took the liberty of correcting your letter. Uh, I hope, you know, this helps you when you go to England. So that was my first mentor. So he was very picky in terms of how you speak, speak. and how you write, right. communicate and everything else. So I had an early uh, education from him and I tried, I, I, I joined the Toastmasters, you know, that's another good group to participate in and learn a little bit. And I also had a, a graduate uh, course in speaking it was offered at Texas Tech as part of my PhD program, where you're given an opportunity to make presentations three times a year, and then your classmates become your critics. You know, you're videotaped and your, your, your gestures, your mannerism and everything else, and, and so on. And even as you become, as you get elected as a president of ASCE, the communications group at the American Society of Civil Engineers takes you for a one or two day uh, workshop in helping you with public speaking too. So, but I do uh, um, think, write it down, you know, rehearse. You, you're never ready, but you know, then after some time, once you get a little handle on the subject, then you can speak a little bit more uh, spontaneously. But, but until that time, I think it takes a lot of practice and takes a lot of commitment to make sure that you communicate well, because at the end of the day, as human beings, that's kind of what uh, connects you to the rest of the world. The process, and it took you a couple of years, you went to both masters in Texas Tech, and you also had a great mentor in the form of your father, who was critical about how you speak, how you write and everything. And, and how did that uh, investment of time and efforts into public speaking and communication help you in your career? It's, it's, I always tell people when you're sitting in meetings and stuff, or when you're encountering uh, adversity in workplace or whatever, it's not what you say, it's how you say it, right? So it's, you know, when you're in a very, very hostile environment, it's just a question of, you know, your tone, your body language, how you deliver the message can diffuse the situation at the same token, when you're trying to encourage and influence people, the same thing, the body language, the tone, and your passion comes out in you know, such a way that you are able to inspire people. So it's a question of being conscious, self-conscious about your, your surrounding, your situation, your audience, your subject matter, and being able to um, you know, tune and articulate the message correctly. That I mean, that's what most of the times I'm probably you're probably involved in is the, is the meetings, critical meetings, where you're enrolling people into new ideas and uh, pushing the teams forward. Yeah. So, um, do you can you think of any example, specific example, where the environment is pretty hostile and you're able to turn it around? Yeah, that there are situations. You know, when you bring up some new ideas, that's kind of controversial you know, people start to question you, people start to challenge you. So, you know, while you're doing that, it's, it's 
sometimes what happens is you start to respond spontaneously because you you think you want to be heard but the key as we all have heard before you have two ears to listen and one mouth to speak so basically you have to sit back keep a clear mind stop stop thinking but start listening you know communication is more of listening than talking so you have to hear what the other person is trying to tell you first if you don't understand clearly ask them again to repeat themselves so that you get the message properly and then you can articulate a response back so there is nothing wrong in taking time to respond especially in a hostile environment you need to be able to understand the context of the message not what you presume it to be but what it is actually meant to be so then you can respond back in a very precise and a concise manner without getting into too much more of an argument or hostility so it's it's an it's managing your emotions a little bit i mean i'll be honest you know sometimes i you know in public i i'm a lot more uh, balanced and managed uh, than in personal life but you know that's what you do so you'll have to place yourself in the right situation so that you can communicate in the right manner and i i um, love that and i could totally resonate with it when i was in team meetings i've seen people respond some say something just for the sake of saying it just because like i said you know like i said one of the core human needs is uh, be right so that they feel respected and i yeah. i've done that too uh, several times yeah. but and your advice is just take a minute if there's nothing wrong with asking questions to understand the context not what is being said but also hear what is not being said that's right. i think that's a great piece of advice so so guna um i'll ask you one hypothetical question let's say you have the superpower superpower to do to be able to do anything you want what are the three changes you would make to transform engineers specifically indian engineers into high paid high performing high high class engineers and given it some thought uh, goes back to some basics i mean i'm just making a a general comment it may not be generally you cannot generalize it but based on my observations so there may be exceptions to every rule you know one of the things that we back home the education system needs to change we used to place a lot of emphasis on you know memorizing and more of a book knowledge rather than practical knowledge one of the things that as engineers engineering is application so you need to be able to apply what you learn learn from how how to apply and also from the application and so on things have changed a little bit now but it's still you know long ways to go hands on experience so that you are able to better understand and even now even here in the developed countries i'm saying education is going to change 
even as, as we speak now through the COVID crisis, the pandemic, I've been talking to universities here and around the world saying that education is going to change because of the medium. People are going to lot, learn a lot of the basics through YouTube or whatever the means might be, whether it's right or wrong. You know, it, you know, you don't get the right answer every time you Google, right? So you may not get all that right. But what the education institutes needs to do is to be able to bring the students in small groups to be able to teach them how to apply those basic principles and solve real life situations. So the Indian education needs to be a little bit more hands-on. That's number one. Number two, you know, I guess it's because of the culture of the system, because back home, we always say, humility is a stepping stone to success, <laughs> not in today's environment, right? Because everybody is trying to find their special niche. So you need to be able to build confidence. Even now, I was on a call uh, yesterday with a whole group of students, and we had a student from, from India trying to you know, he had some good ideas, but he had a hard time expressing himself. He wasn't, first of all, he was not very confident. And second, of course, it's always the language barrier. So, you know, you need to be able to build that confidence. That confidence comes from practical applications and hands-on experience of doing things and crafts. And we are not used to doing things. I, you know, I, I, I've tried to be a little bit handy after having come to the US trying to fix things around the house and so on. But if I was back home, I wouldn't be doing any of that stuff, right? Uh, so that's one of the things that engineers need to know is to how to do that and how to be confident and communicate and also be willing to take on some challenges. And the other thing that we also need to do is to be successful in, in a global stuff as I say, when you're in Rome, do as the Romans do. So, you know, we, we are stuck with some of our culture and our habits and so on. My recommendation is go out, uh, learn to play golf, get involved with some sporting activities, enjoy some other things that the locals do so that you can speak the same lingo so that you are kind of embraced as one of their own and they feel, you know, that you you are there as part of the team, mingle with the group, but you don't have to lose your identity. I still go by my name, Kanchi Puram Natarajan Gunalan. When I first came, somebody suggested, why don't you change your name to KNG Allen? I said, no, when I say that this is Allen and I walk into the room, I can imagine the expressions on the faces. The only... <laughs> Only identity that you have is the name given to you by your parents. So I said, I'm not going to change it. So you don't have to lose your identity. You don't have to do things in a very superficial way, but that's part of being in with the culture and learn and grow because that's how you get accepted. And that's how you also learn to understand others and become more inclusive, be more uh, adapt to diverse environments. And that's how you get engaged and grow. And so 
that would be my advice to, especially from engineers from India is, these are all the things that we need to do. It's not, you know, a lot of them are good, but some of them need some help in each one of those areas in terms of how, how they go about grooming themselves for success. I think that's, that's one of the best response I've heard so far about um, adapting to a new culture, especially it could be a little bit controversial because people might yeah. interpret it as, oh, you want to become someone else. And that's not what your message is. No. Your message is really, hey, everyone likes if you learn their culture. We always love if a foreigner learns about Indian culture. Similarly, they would also like us to learn their, some of their culture. And, and that, that doesn't mean you're losing your identity and you gave examples about your name and, uh, and there could be things that you love about, uh, you know, there are many things that we love about our culture. We don't have to lose any of them. But yep. it doesn't hurt to learn about a certain game if that interests you so that, you know, you can connect better with uh, uh, people from other cultures so you can have much deeper conversations about uh, different things. So instead of just specific to work, I think that's, uh, that's brilliant advice. Yeah, because at, at the end of the day, you know, ascending to some position, it's, it's, you don't have to be an Einstein. It's a question of developing the trust and the confidence. You know, people need to understand who you are at the core and have a basic human trust in you to say that they think that they have the confidence that you will be able to execute the duties of the office for which that you're aspiring to. So that's what it comes down to. Anybody can do. I mean, I jokingly say, you know, even in engineering, I said, you know, we can always design everything with a high factor of safety. I said, if I'm going to design something with a factor of safety greater than three, I don't need you. I, I can have a monkey do it, right? <laughs> it's just that basic human trust and confidence that you have the capabilities and so on. So it's, you know, attitude is nine tenths of the rule. It's how you go about presenting yourself how you carry yourself and how you communicate, how you respect and indulge others and everything else. Thank you for sharing all, Thank all you. your wisdom and nuggets of uh, advice. So is there any specific message that you would like to leave our engineers with? I, I always say I'm very optimistic about the future. I, I think this will also pass. I know we're going through some tough times right now. Uh, humans are very resilient. Uh, we will survive and we will come out of this. So, but patience is a virtue. So we just need to be a little patient and uh, with, with, with all the things that's going around us. And I'd like to always uh, quote, you know, I don't know whether you remember in the nine, uh, the 90s when I came here, there used to be the America's Top 40 hosted by Casey Kasem, who always used to conclude his program by saying, reach for the stars with your feet on the ground. So I, I think, you know, everybody has great potentials. We have great uh, opportunities. So reach for the stars with your feet on the ground. I'm sure that everything will work out fine for everybody. My best wishes to all. Reach for the stars 
the feet on the ground. Great yes. note to end our podcast with. Thank you for being here with us today. We'll be in touch. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Hopefully you learned some important nuggets to uncover the rock star from inside of you. If you have any questions, you can reach me on my email at aditya at whoweare.io. It's A-D-I-T-Y-A at whoweare.io.